0: Thanks, Tim. One of the exciting things about being involved in missions and with several different churches is the joy of seeing how much God is doing around this world. And it is incredible to witness how much God is doing. My name is Steve Larson. Uh, Connie and I are serving God in China right now. We are working with the underground church and they are uh, their mission is to send 100,000 missionaries over the next few years into nations in this 1040 window, like Syria, Egypt, all of these Muslim and Buddhist and Hindu nations between China and Israel. And the name of their ministry is back to Jerusalem. Uh, My main purpose today is to share the Word of God with you, but I do want to let you know, if you want to find out more about us, there are two ways you can do it. Uh, You can grab a prayer card back there, And uh, if you email us at larson at gmail.com, we'll put you on our list and let you know more. Uh, And the second thing is next Sunday after church, we're having a free lunch, brisket of beef for the adults, hot dogs for the kids. And we're going to share in more detail uh, what we're doing when we leave a week from Wednesday to head back from China. So if you're interested in that, um, I think the best way is to email us uh, and we 'll get you all the details for where we live, and we would love to have you come. I want to share with you something from god 's word in in first Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, turn to first thessalonians and we 're going to read a couple of verses in verse in chapter four, and then we 're going to focus on chapter five, so First Thessalonians chapter four, and first, we want to look at verses sixteen and seventeen. All right, so if you need a Bible, grab one from Uh, the ushers who are moving up and back, and they can get you situated. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You've always wondered why the dead in Christ are going to rise first. They've got six feet farther to go. That's why. (laughs) Then we who are alive and remain... We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. This is the blessed hope of the believer. Jesus is coming again. All right. So two of you are relatively excited about that. Let's try that again. <laughs> Jesus is coming again. Yes. Now that's much better. This, this is what we are pointing towards. This is if, you're, if you have cancer or if you're struggling with family relationships or if you've got chronic health issues or pain, if you've got difficult financial situations, this is your hope. This is the thing that is going to make life great. This is when all of the wrongs of this world are going to be right. Right. By the exertion of Jesus Christ when God the Father will put all things under his feet. And he will reign forever and ever. What, this is what we're looking towards. Now, could Jesus come today? Yes. Okay, three of you said yes. Uh, could, could Jesus come today? Yes. Did Paul believe that Jesus could have come in his lifetime? Yes. Absolutely. Every generation of believer... From the time of the disciples until today, true believers have always been looking for the coming of Jesus. When I was a kid, I tried to use this argument to get my parents to let me not go to school. (laughs) Why go to school? Jesus might come today. Uh, It never worked. But you know, it does kind of bring up this interesting tension that he could come today... But he may not come for another 40 years. I hope that's not the case. But but people, every generation, I remember reading a, a newspaper article in the New York Times in 1860 that said Jesus has to come. Things couldn't get any worse. And believe it or not, that was in the New York Times. It shows you how... Things actually have gotten worse. (laughs) But on the one hand, we have this hope that he will come today. But on the other hand, we realize we may have an interim time where we're waiting for Jesus Christ to come. So the question comes up how should we live in this interim? you might think, oh, Jesus is coming again. He could come today. I should run and grab the lapels of every person I meet and say, Jesus is coming again. And I should, I should live a frantic kind of crazy lifestyle. And we're going to discover today that Paul says, no, that's not how God wants you to live at all. And so where we're going to focus for the next few minutes is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Now, as you look at these verses, they are a series of very short bullet point kind of commands. And they are very simple. And you might look at them and you go, oh, been there, done there. I know that. I know that. I know that. But I want to slow down and unpack this a little bit. Because there's actually three huge principles that will help you live in the interim between today today. And whenever Jesus comes again. And here are the three principles. Principle number one is encourage your leaders. Principle number two is be deeply involved in each other's lives. And principle number three is wrap every day around your relationship with God. Okay, so let's look at these. Very simple. Verses 12 and 13. Paul says, But we request of you, brethren, and remember he's saying in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, we request of you that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. There are three three things that Paul says we can do to make the joy of our leaders better. Number one is appreciate them. I've been in the ministry for, well, if you count non-senior pastoral ministry over 40 years. Been a senior pastor for about 33 years. And one thing I can tell you is that pastoral ministry is the most joyful, discouraging, fulfilling, exasperating thing that you could ever do. It will bring great joy to your heart. And it will devastate you. And you guys, I want to tell you something. Here at God Speak, you have an amazing leadership team. Rob McCoy has a heart of sincerity. He is a a godly man who is listening to God and attempting to lead you. And when you look at guys like Brett and Marty and Tony and all of these guys on staff, you have an amazing leadership team. And you can bring joy to their hearts by appreciating them. I don't know if you know this, but pastors, by nature of their occupation, are prone to depression. Uh, One of the greatest preachers of all time And his mind, his name just went, Spurgeon. Okay, that's who it was. Charles Spurgeon. We also lose our minds very quickly. Uh. Charles Spurgeon lived for years in what would be described now as clinical depression. He wrote often, and he was not shy about talking about it. He wrote often of the deep blackness of his soul. The sadness and the frustration and the the emptiness. And I remember, as a young man, I was very prone to depression. In fact, so much so that I was thinking about leaving the ministry. And I read a book. The title, by the way, if you're ever interested, is amazing: "Spiritual Depression" by D. Martin Lloyd Jones. It was a book that saved me in the ministry. And what he helped me understand was that depression is one of the prices you pay for leadership because you're put on the line, you're put out there in a public venue so much and you give and sometimes we will tend to overgive to the point where we just crash and burn for a while. What I want you to understand is that you can make ministry a joy for those who lead you. You can do that by appreciating them, by respecting them in what they do. And we'll get to the third one in just a minute, but I want to tell you a little bit about appreciating. Um, So often people don't know what to say after a message, so they say, oh, good message, Steve. Good message, thank you. That was was a good message. And I have to say, that's kind of a, yeah. Because you know that people are saying that when they don't know what else to say. And I want to give you an idea of how to encourage Rob after a message. Number one, listen to it. <laughs> Novel idea. That, will, that in itself will actually be very encouraging. But then hear one thing that God said to you through what, what Rob shares, and then speak that back to them. Rob, I really appreciated what you brought out in this verse, and this is what I heard from it. And just knowing that you're getting it is such an encouraging thing to a leader. If, if your children mention to you that something hit them out of Sunday school that was great, not, not a brick, but God taught them something out of Sunday school, <laughs> make sure you go to that Sunday school teacher and let them know that. If your home group leader shares something that that blesses you, let them know that. So Paul says the first thing you can do is learn to appreciate those above you. Learn to esteem them highly. And then he says something kind of interesting. He says, I want you to live in peace with each other. And you may wonder, what does this have to do with encouraging your leaders? Well, if you've ever been... Involved in trying to mediate a fight between two families, you'll know exactly why this would encourage a pastor for people to be living in peace with each other. And here's the point you don't need a pastor to solve your relational problems. Learn not to hold grudges and forgive each other. Learn to ask forgiveness when you do something wrong. Learn to make peace so that as a pastor is looking at he's seeing a church that loves each other as a pastor it was for me it was always way more important that the church loved each other than even that they loved me because if they loved each other we were doing what Jesus has called us to do and i was called to lead in that direction so i'm happy so you may think oh Well, let's create a dependency on the pastors. Let's have them solve all our problems. No, that's not encouraging to them. It's actually very deflating. So the first principle. Appreciate those who labor over you. Second principle, verse 14 and 15. Take responsibility for each other. I love this part. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. This is so short, it could just go right over your head, and you skip it and go on to something else. This is huge right here. There are three different groups of people. There's the unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And your version may have idle for unruly, and we'll explain that in a minute. The word unruly is a military term. And it has to do with a a military group. You know, they're all marching in step and everything like this. An unruly guy is a guy who breaks rank. He kind of, he's wandering around chasing daisies or butterflies. He's not paying attention to what the commander is saying. He's just out of rank. Now, I was never in the service. And that's a fact for which the service will be grateful for forever. And so all I know of the military is from movies and television shows. But my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is drill instructors are not necessarily known for patience and gentleness. Is that right? Those of you who have been in the service? Yeah. In other words, if if I were in the service and and roll call and the trumpets blaring and it's time to get up, and I decide, you know what? Had a rough night. I'm going to sleep in. I don't think the drill instructor would come in and say, Steve, no, you had a rough night. Take the day off. And if you can make it tomorrow, that'd be great. No, I mean, drill instructors are very loud. uh, They're very direct. And they have really colorful language. And the reason they are so tough on you is that your life may depend on you becoming a good soldier and the lives of other people may depend on... So if somebody's unruly, if they're out of rank, they need a, This forgive me, but a harsh word. They need to be admonished. The word admonished means to warn. It means to help a person see the consequences of their behavior. And you guys, there are times in life when we need to get in, get in each other's faces and say, hey, wait a minute. You know what? You're out of line. You need to do it in love. You need to do it in humility. But you need to do it clearly. So you admonish. You warn the unruly. Now the second one is a completely different Faint hearted. And the Greek for this is little soul. In other words, it's a person who is very timid. They don't have a lot of courage. They don't have a sense of being able to charge your head. They're the kind of people who, when you're saying, you know what, this is what God wants you to do, and they say, oh, I can't do that. Some of us would like to rebuke them. Get off your can and get out there and do it. And we went out and just really shake them and charge them out. But that's not how you deal with faint hearted people. Paul says you encourage them, you lift them up, you walk with them, you remind them of all of the resources that God has given them. You help them understand that the Holy Spirit is in them, empowering them to do what they can't do. Then there are people who are weak. Paul says we help the weak. A weak person is somebody who, because of circumstances, is kind of overwhelmed with life right now. Maybe a young mom with with too many kids to try to to corral, and she's just overwhelmed. I remember when Connie was going through that, I gave her an organizer, and that didn't help her. (laughs) What she needed was not organization. What she needed was me to get in there and help her because she was overwhelmed. There's something very important I want you to see out of all three of these commands. You notice you have three different groups of people, right? And three different ministries. Admonish, encourage, help. You learn as a child of God when you become effective to adjust your ministry not based on what you like to do but based on what that person needs does that make sense yes. there's a psychiatrist named maslow he came up with that hierarchy of needs he had a great statement once he said he who is a good he who is good with a nail views every or no excuse me he who is good with a hammer views everything as a nail does that make sense In other words, if you're good at hammering, oh, here's a screw, I'll hammer the screw. Here's a window, I'll hammer the window. Whatever they face, they're always bringing a hammer to the job. And what Paul is saying here is no. When you're ministering to people, the first thing you do is listen. Hear what's going on in their life. What kind of person am I dealing with? And then you know how to help them. Do they need admonishing? Okay, they might if they're unruly. Do they need encouragement? Do they need help? And what's so exciting is if you start using this as a filter when you talk with people, God will give you such great wisdom as to how to help them in the most effective way. But the overriding principle here is we need to be involved with each other's lives. and Beloved, let me just share with you, and I don't know where you are in relationship with the church, but you can't do that by coming once a week on a Sunday morning service. You have to get involved with people's lives. We need to learn to do life together. And as you build relationships, God is going to open up opportunities for you to love and be loved by other people. You'll be able to make a difference in their lives. They'll be able to make a difference in your life. And the church will be blessed because the body is working together. Now, look to verse 15. This is where it's amazing what Paul says. He says, see to it that no one repays another with evil for evil. Let me explain this one. When you get into a very difficult time, especially a time of conflict with another individual, one of the problems is we tend to lose our perspective. We tend to um, get caught up in the conflict of the moment. And that's where we need reminders from other people to behave godly in that situation. If somebody insults me, my natural inclination is to return an insult for that insult. It's to return evil for evil, which is exactly the opposite of what Jesus wants us to do. Peter says, return a blessing for insult because you are called to inherit a blessing. And what's so cool about this is when you learn to behave godly, you put yourself in a place of blessing by God. And so we need to remind each other. So the principle of verse 15 is when you're ministering to other people, if they're in a time of deep trial, wow, that's where you need to take responsibility to help them know God's ways of doing things in that situation. Now let's go on to verse 16. Three commands in terms of our relationship with God. They're so simple, we miss them if we, if we run too fast. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. You guys, if you want to build protection against Satan's attacks, rejoice always. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice to write these things is no problem for me, and it is a protection for you. Worship, rejoicing, finding your joy in Jesus will build a shield around you that Satan cannot penetrate because the only way Satan can have his way in your life is to discourage you with lies. He has no authority over you, and so he tries to deceive you. He tries to discourage you. He tries to do, to pull you down. And when you rejoice in Jesus, he is powerless. Amen. He's powerless. So this little two-word command is huge if you want to have victory over the evil one in your life and you want to experience joy on a day-by-day basis. Rejoice always. Tomorrow morning when you make wake up, Don't evaluate your life by circumstances. Don't evaluate your life by how you feel physically. Don't evaluate your life by how people are teaching, by how people are treating you. Evaluate your life with this. You are a child of God. Your father is the God of the universe and your older brother, Jesus Christ, is the King of kings and Lord of lords and he's coming again for you. And so you rejoice. That's your starting point for the day. Rejoice always. Do you see how powerful this little two-word command is? It's huge. Second command. Pray without ceasing. Oh, we need a really profound explanation. That's so deep, I can't understand what that means. No, it just means pray about everything. As you walk through the day, if a situation comes up, you pray about it. I've even gotten in the habit as I'm driving on the freeway if there's an accident, I start praying for the people who are in that accident. And I ask God, because you think of how their lives have been devastated in one, in one split second. And I will pray for people, Lord, if they're not believers, may this be an opening that someone can tell them the gospel of Jesus. Because people are open when things go bad in their lives. You just start praying all the time about Everything. If you're in an anxiety-producing situation, why don't you worry? That's very productive, isn't it? Oh, yes, I'm, I'm going to really do something good. I'm going to worry. I mean, after all, that, it's the best way to get ulcers. Uh, it does wonderful things for your body to be in anxiety. But what does Paul say? He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request Be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, this is so important. Just learn to have this running conversation with God all through the day. You will be amazed. You will be amazed at the fact that God answers prayer when you actually pray. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Third principle. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. By the way, the this refers to giving thanks. What's God's will for my life? That I be a thankful person. Let me give you two points about being thankful. Number one, ingratitude Lack of gratefulness is the sign of an evil heart. Think of the children of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness. God brings them through the Red Sea. I don't know about you, but for me, that might have shown me, wow, God really loves me. (laughs) A couple of days later, they're thirsty. Oh, you brought us into the wilderness to kill us. Thanks a lot, God. God brings them water. A couple of days later, they get hungry. You brought us here to starve us. God gives them manna. We're tired of manna. We want meat. God brings them meat. And every step of the way, God does miracles. And every step of the way, when they have a new challenge, they complain. Very simple. The generation that saw more miracles than any other generation outside of the generation of Jesus was so evil that all of them, save two people, had to die. Ungratefulness is the sign of an evil heart. If you're going through life and nobody meets up to your expectations, including God, there is an evil in you that must be cut out. In everything, give thanks. The second thing I want you to understand about thanksgiving is thanksgiving builds faith. If you want to have the faith to trust God more, Start, and, and I don't know if you're a journaling person. I, if you aren't, I would recommend you get a little notebook and start keeping a journal of what God is teaching you, what God is speaking to you. And most importantly, keep a journal. I call it, I have one section in my journal that's my Thanksgiving journal, where I'm running down, writing down all of the things where God shows up in my life. Do you know right now I have four file drawers, full-size files, throughout my life, of God's answered prayers in my life. I've written them down ever since the ninth grade. Four file drawers full of answered prayer. Does God actually answer prayer? Yes, he does. And the problem is, we forget that he answers prayer. But when you start thanking him, oh, wow, God, thank you. And you, you should read some of mine from the ninth grade. Oh God, you're awesome, you know. And I'm, uh, and so I, I had ninth grade journaling at that time, but it's so fun to read that. That even as a fourteen year old, God was in the business of answering my prayer. And guess what? The more I look at that, I hit a new challenge. I go, Oh, God answered my prayer yesterday. God was faithful yesterday. Maybe he'll be faithful today. And i found that over the years, my ability to trust God and, get this, rest in him. And that, that is the best feeling in the world when everything's falling apart around you. Resting in God. That comes from being thankful. So this is what I mean. In, in every aspect of life, three ways that you can revolve your, writer, your life around God Number one, rejoice always. Number two, pray without ceasing. Number three, give thanks in everything. This is how God wants us to live right today. He wants us to appreciate those who lead us. He wants us to be involved with each other's lives. And he wants us to bring every circumstance in our life to God. And there's one other thing he wants us to do, and that's to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so when you're eating the body, the bread that represents the body of Christ, and when you're drinking the cup that represents the blood of Christ, You are proclaiming the Lord's death and what it's done for you. And I hope today and every time you take communion, you will breathe this prayer Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That you will create a greater and greater longing for the coming of Jesus in your life. You guys, God has done a great work in us, but it's not finished. It's not going to be finished till Jesus comes again. And my passion for you is that today and every day, you're going to take 1 Thessalonians 5. And you're going to use it as a mirror in your own life. And you're going to say, God, I want to be this kind of a Christian for the rest of my life. So the ushers are going to come and they're going to actually help you take communion now. So guys, if you could come forward, worship team. May this be a time of your giving renewed and fresh thanks to God. So, Father, as we partake of communion, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would um, remind us once again of how much we have because of Christ. And may you be honored by our celebration today and by how we live even this afternoon and tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.